The Lord be with you. Let us pray. God, our Creator, when you speak, there is light and life. Fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we may listen to one another, speak the truth in love, and bear much fruit in the service of your kingdom through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Um, John and I were just commenting. It's a a great crowd, considering the weather. It's a super crowd. So uh, welcome to all of y'all that kind of came out in this kind of yuck type weather it's uh it's that one if it's raining you know what it's doing if it's sunny you know what it's doing but when it's kind of misty it's kind of where's it going which route and so uh, anyway welcome uh, we're going to be starting in acts chapter 20 um, last week we finished up with uh in essence what was a riot in ephesus and it was because the artisans were getting upset with Paul because uh, of his preaching, and they saw it as a detriment to uh, their livelihood because he, um, they weren't able to sell all the silver goddesses, uh, Diana, that they were used to uh, selling prior to Paul coming to town. So um, they got a little out of hand and at the uh, amphitheater, and it took the city clerk to calm them down, telling them that if they didn't behave, that the Romans would uh, consider it a riot and come after them, and they needed to follow normal procedures of if you had a complaint, you needed to go through the proper channels, and at that point, uh, they quit talking and left. And so that brings us to uh, the first part of um, chapter 20. And if someone would be kind enough to read the first six verses of um, Acts chapter 20, 1 through 6. Thank you, Coffee. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples. And after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed from Macedonia. When he'd gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months. And when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return to Macedonia. Sopater of Berea, the son of Pyrrhus from Berea, accompanied him. And of of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derbe, and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi to the day of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. Thank you. Yeah, so after the uproar, it, Paul saw that it was time to leave. Now, he had been you know, there for a couple of years, so it wasn't like some of his other... Uh, he'd been there a few months and effectively got run out of town, but it was decided that he needed to depart, and his mission was always to go further back toward Greece, uh, because part of what he was doing was actually working on collecting a uh, contribution, uh, whatnot, for the uh, poor in um, Jerusalem. So he started journeying through uh, Macedonia and going back and visiting some of the churches that he had been to 
previously in uh, Philippi, Thessalonica, uh, Berea, to visit them and to you know share uh, with them what had been going on to collect additional funds. And uh, Paul, it's kind of interesting to me here, Luke kind of almost, you know, we left and we departed and then we spent three months and then we stayed seven days. I mean, he goes from being real broad, we left and spent some time to we spent three months to seven days. But they went through and then when he says he came to Greece, that at that point in time, that pretty well referred to Corinth. And that's where he wanted to get to. He had uh, written several letters because the church in Corinth had been one of kind of a rocky start in a lot of respects of getting it started and was run out of town quite early by the uh, Jews in Corinth uh, because of his preaching. And he just, uh, even in his, his, the first letter to the Corinthians, there were times when uh, kind of like sometimes we regret what we said and get upset about it. Well, he'd sent this letter and then started kind of regretting what he wrote, but it was well received there. And he continued to write letters. What we call 2 Corinthians was actually his fourth letter. The letter number two and three were known to them but are not known to us now uh, and are not part of the canon, but it would have been known to uh, back in that point in time. So he went there, he spent probably the winter, it was three months, and they think part of the reason it was winter was because in that area, sailing during the winter months was rough just because of the winds and the, the weather. So it, for the most part, um, shipping shut down during the winter months. And so he would have stayed there, and then, as usual, the Jews got upset with him and started plotting against him. Now, whether he was planning to leave or not, uh, some speculate that they were, the plot was to have some people on the boat to deal with Paul on the boat and maybe throw him overboard, some people think. But in any case, he caught wind of it and he headed back through Mesopotamia. So he was retracing his steps. And it talks about here several of his travel companions. Now, these companions came, if you'll notice where it's re, uh, they say they were from, they were at other churches where Paul had started. And so it was a situation of showing the, the continuity, the unity, the growth, and the universality of the church as it was growing. So you had people from different uh, churches going around with Paul and connecting with uh, other people and other churches, and so they got to know each other. And so some of these people, uh, we've heard uh, Gaius of Derby, we've heard of him before, Timothy, uh, we've heard of him, uh, we'll hear a bunch more about him, Tychaeus, um, one of the Asians, he probably is who brought the letter to the Ephesians to the church in Ephesus because at the end of chapter 6 of Ephesus, Paul says, so that you may know how I am and what I'm doing, Tychaeus, the beloved brother and faithful minister of the Lord, will tell you everything. So, you know, he went around and even was in Rome for some period of time with Paul. And it was typical back then for letters to be carried 
by someone who knew the writer and knew the recipient. And that's one of the reasons a lot of the letters of Paul are deemed to be uh, actual letters by Paul as opposed to somebody saying they were Paul is because um, the person delivering it would have been someone that had been with Paul in a, like in Tychias' situation. He was coming home, in effect. So, you know, that added credibility to who was writing it and to the message. And Paul sent some of them ahead, and Luke goes back and forth sometimes, and he's very much in the first person. Uh, he stayed and sailed with Paul while the others went by foot. Um, and he would have celebrated uh, Passover with them. And then um, they got to Troas. And then there, if someone would be kind enough to read uh, verses 7 through 12. Okay. On the first day of the week, when we met to break bread, Paul was holding a discussion with them since he intended to leave the next day. He continued speaking until midnight. There were many lamps in the room upstairs where we were meeting. A young man named Eutychus, who was sitting in the window, began to sink off into a deep sleep while Paul talked still longer. Overcome by sleep, he fell to the ground three-fourths below and was picked up dead. But Paul went down and bending over him, took him in his arms and said, do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. Then Paul went upstairs, and after he had broken bread and eaten, he continued to converse with them until dawn. Then he left. Meanwhile, they had taken the boy away alive and were not a little comforted. Thank you. This is the first reference in Acts to a Sunday worship. And it seems to have been regular uh, that they did it frequently. Um, and so uh, it, it was something they did. It included a sermon. Now, a sermon here is not like we think of what, if you've been to church, the dean delivered, or if you're going at 11, what the dean will deliver. It's, it was a longer period of time. It's not like us in the Western world where, okay, it's time to go to dinner, lunch, whatever. We got to get out of here. I got my golf game or, you know, Kids are coming over for Sunday lunch. We got to get there. It was an all, in this case, an all-night affair. Um, you know, it's like in a lot of third-world countries when they come to a service, they expect to hear a lot of message, not just a little talk. And so, and it's not just Paul talking. You know, he even says here uh, that they were having a discussion, and. Paul would have been teaching and sharing, but they would have been asking questions like we do in here. It just goes on more than 40 minutes or 50 minutes like here. Uh, so they would have, you know, asked questions because they couldn't have gone back necessarily and, you know, um, picked up their Bible and read it at night and studied it more. They had to hear it. Um, and so they would have talked through the things that Paul was bringing up to them so that they could better understand what he was saying and they could understand it. Then also, they had a fellowship supper. You know, jumping a little bit ahead, after uh, Eutychus had fallen, 
they went back upstairs and kind of picked up where they were and had a fellowship dinner. So it was, you know, a very regular set out process that the people there uh, in Troas followed. Now, they say, Tychus, it says a young man. In this period of time, a young man was a lot younger than we probably think of it now. It was tended to be somebody between 8 and 14. Of course, back then, you kind of grew up a little earlier than we do now, and, and you were uh, out. But it was upstairs. It was late. It was oily lamps. It said there were a lot of lamps. So the lamps they used would have been oil-fueled, and so you could have gotten a lot of fumes. So what do a lot of us do when the air feels stale? We try to get over near a window or go outside. Well, he got over by a window. Could have been cool, so you get a little cool. It's late at night. What do you do? You fall asleep. A lot of us do that. Now, he fell into a real sleep. I mean, it started off as a sleep and just got deeper and deeper. Uh, as it came, and then all of a sudden, it's kind of like you just slumped down in a chair, and he wasn't in a chair, he fell three stories, floors down. And his name can mean lucky or fortunate. Now, so he falls. They go downstairs, and the way in the... Uh, ESV, it's written, was taken up dead. You know, it's not taken as dead, but was taken up as dead. And so he was dead. I mean, you know, remember, this is Luke writing. Luke, the physician, would know if he was dead or if he looked dead. He's just not moving because he's stunned. Uh, he was dead. And what did Paul do? Paul... It says, bent over him, which could have been like laying down on him. And we go into the Second uh, Kings chapter 4, and Elisha um, came in, into the house, and he saw the child lying dead on his bed. So he went in, shut the door behind the two of them, the two people in the house, and prayed to the Lord. Then he went up and lay on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And as he stretched himself upon him, the flesh of the child became warm. He got up again and walked once back and forth in the house and went up, stretched himself upon him, and the child sneezed seven times. So what Paul was doing, there was a very Old Testament of that. And so, you know... Um, Paul was doing just as prophets of old had done. You know, the Holy Spirit was there with Paul and helping him do it, but Paul just, you know, almost as the way Luke wrote it, he just kind of casually went up and did it in front of everybody. After it was over, walked back upstairs and kind of picked up where he had been. But what it was, was, you know, uh, Eutychus, with his name being lucky or fortunate, he was fortunate Paul was there because it could have been another Sunday service with a local uh, elder or person in charge doing the sermon discussion and he'd have gone over there and fallen out of the window and yeah, he'd have been dead. But Paul was there and Paul just 
you know, did what Paul could do. It was, you know, another one of those miracles that God used Paul to do. And obviously, while Luke doesn't talk about it, it had an impact on the people that were there. I mean, it went on any of us. And so he went uh, back. They, you know, he talked until daybreak. He was planning on departing earlier than he did, but uh, here again, the discussion was such, and uh, he was participating, so so he stayed. Um, and, you know, and then it says, and they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. Yeah, they were comforted a lot. They felt, I mean, they'd had Paul there preaching. They'd seen a miracle. They felt a great comfort. Um, now... The use of the double negative there sort of drives home. He, did, he doesn't write, they were really comforted. Mm -hmm. They were not a little comforted. That sort of emphasizes mm -hmm. how amazed they must have been. Then if uh, someone would uh, read, oh, well, I'll read it. But go, verses 13 through uh, 16. But going ahead to the ship, we sent sail for Athos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for he had arranged intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Athos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene, and sailing from there, we came to the following day opposite Chios. The next day, we touched at Samos, and the day after that, we were in Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hasting to be in Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Luke is just giving the itinerary. Now, when they were leaving Troas for Essos, it's not a long journey by land, but it's kind of like, you know, using the palm of my hand here, this is Troas, and Aos is over here, Essos. And so sailing, you'd have to sail all around here and walking, you know, whether it be in a straight line or through mountains or not, but as the crow flies, it was a much shorter journey. Paul was probably, you know, wanting to go by himself to spend some time alone. Now, Paul enjoyed companionship because Luke told us up in earlier verses who all was with him. But sometimes Paul needed to be alone. I mean, just like Christ needed time away. You know, he would go up into the mountains to pray. Sometimes even the disciples were trying to find him. Um, but Christ needed to spend time praying. Well, Paul probably needed to spend some time too just you know, going through what needed to be done. And we're going to talk in a few minutes about how he's going to be telling the um, Ephesian elders how he is headed to Jerusalem for imprisonment and affliction. So, you know, he's probably wanting to make sure, you know, what he's feeling and is discerning is really what the Holy Spirit is leading him to do. So he needs that that time alone to just meditate on that. Um, you know, it's, uh, I think a lot of us, if we spend time, you know, we may be, enjoy being around people, but sometimes whether it's, you know, devotionally, work-related, whatever, we just kind of need to get away from family and friends and just spend some time with ourselves. Uh, you know, at Thanksgiving, a lot of us will we'll be with family somewhere and, you know, 
they're going to have three generations or multiple generations there. And sometimes you just got to have a little, I got to go outside and take a walk by myself sometimes. Maybe it's just to get away from the quiet. But Paul needed that time alone. So he's, he's taking that time to spend. The other is he just, uh, Luke tells us everywhere he went. I mean, it's just kind of like here's the itinerary for the week. Here's where we're going. And uh, I found this a little note that Kios, that's the birthplace of Homer. So um, it uh, you know, has nothing to do with the lesson, but I just thought that was a neat one of those little trivia questions if you get into a trivia game today. Um, but you know, he shared with them and of what was going on and where they, he was going. And so you know, he wanted to be in Jerusalem and time for Pentecost. That was a time when, um, you know, there would be a lot going on. And his whole goal at the end of, you know, uh, leaving Corinth was to get back to Jerusalem. He had these companions. They were taking a collection there. They wanted to be able to share it while they could share it in any one time. Pentecost on the church calendar, uh, probably more so then than now, that was a big-time important holiday, religious uh, time. And so he wanted to be there to participate in that. Would there have been people there that had experienced the original Pentecost? They would have still been, yeah. Yeah, because this would have been in like 62, uh, middle 60s. So, yeah, there would have, should have been, you know, a lot of them still there. Peter, you know, whether Peter was still there or because Peter would kind of sometimes go back and forth. Uh, tradition has that I think Peter and Paul were executed at fairly similar point in time in Rome. Um, and so uh, I think there would have been still some. A lot of the apostles were doing their own, original apostles were doing their own mission work, uh, so some of them wouldn't have been there. Thomas probably wasn't. I mean, once he headed toward India, you know, I don't know whether he came back, but I suspect there would have been any number of people that would have been at the original day of Pentecost that would have been there, and that's why being in Jerusalem with them would have been important to Paul. I mean, Paul would have possibly been there, but he was on the other side of the fence at the original Pentecost. He had not had his awakening. Uh, the Damascus journey had not taken place yet. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them. And, you know, so while he didn't want to stop in Ephesus, he still wanted to visit with the leaders. Had he gone to Ephesus, which he had a strong relationship with, he wouldn't have made it to Jerusalem in time for Pentecost. And that was a driving force with him. He wanted to be there at this point in time. So, you know, um, if you're on a trip and you want to be back to a certain, you know, back home to Birmingham, say, by a certain point in time, and on your way somebody says, well, why don't we take a trip over here and take a side trip? Well, if it keeps you from being where you want to at a certain time, you go, no. Well, that's what he'd done here. He wanted to talk to the people and the elders from Ephesus, but he had them come to him. 
he was probably 30 miles down the road or something. So, you know, some of the people that were with him would have disembarked, taken the journey up to bring the elders down, and they would have gone from there. So now if um, we have the rest of 18, and you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to drinks of repent and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's starting off and sharing with them, you know, how he served with humility. You know, he didn't, um, he, he was one of them. He worked for himself and for those with him. He didn't ask a lot, but he shared with them. Oh, oh I'm sorry. Um, you know, and trials happened to him. The, the plots that, you know, the Jews uh, put out toward him in trying to get rid of him. You know, each time he came there, they saw him as doing things that they disagreed with in their preaching. And so he had to withstand that. But, as always, he still testified to Jews who wanted to hear the message. And here when it says Greeks, it's really talking about God-fearing Gentiles. So people that wanted to hear the message of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, he preached to them. And he did it, and they were part of the results of that teaching. And then if somebody would read uh, 22 through 27 for me. Okay, thanks, Mike. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit. Yeah, I'm, I'm constrained. I'm constrained from the standpoint of, I can't go anywhere else. I am headed to Jerusalem because that's where the Holy Spirit is having me go. You know, and so I can't, you know, regardless of what you ask me to do, here is where the Spirit is leading me to go and I can't do anything else. I'm headed that way. And he doesn't really know what's going to happen to him. But he does know that imprisonment and affliction await me. Now, what did Christ tell his disciples several times? 
You know, when, when they left, headed south toward Jerusalem for that last time, he told them multiple times what was going to happen. And they didn't really hear it. Now, I don't think Luke is trying to say what Paul is going to be going through is the same thing that Christ did because Paul's death has no saving uh, benefits and grace to anybody. But it's still, I've got to go there, and it doesn't matter what, I can't shrink from it. I have to go forward. I know something's going to be happening. I don't totally know what's going to be happening. Um, and then, you know, I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course, the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. He's wanting to go there. You know, it's not going to be anything that uh, he can do, but he wants to make sure he continues to get that message out um, to um, the people that he can share with, wherever it may be, because we know from, re you know, having read through this before many times, what Paul did just while he was still on his way to Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, on the way to Rome, and in Rome. I mean, some of it is in Acts, others is a result of the letters. Um, and so he continues that, but like in Timothy, um, 2 Timothy, I'm in the wrong Timothy, excuse me. Um, in verse 7, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. So he's telling Timothy that, you know, he's done what he set out to do and what he said in Acts here. You know, in 2 Timothy, Paul's near the end of his life. But he at least has some knowledge that he has done what Christ charged him to do that he had finished the course, he'd shared, but he had finished it, and he fought the good fight. And now the days were coming to the end. And so Paul is telling these elders that I've got to keep going and that you know he's not going to be able to be there with them any longer. They won't see him again. And he goes on to say, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all of you. If you turn away, it's not on me. And I've done what I was called upon to do. And if you don't respond or you turn away from it, it's not going to be on me. You know, and, and so he's wanting them to understand that um, you know, he did what he had to do. He didn't shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. He did it. He got out there and shared. And, you know, I would think that, you know, those people that have ministered to us over our lives and, you know, at a certain point in time, you know, maybe like the dean, uh, retiring, you know, hopefully he feels like he's fought the good fight. He has done 
what Christ has charged him to do. Well, Paul is here telling you, I've and told Timothy, I've done it. And if you hadn't listened when he tells the uh, elders in Ephesus, it's not going to be on me. And then picking up at 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish everyone with tears. And now I command you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul is now telling them what they've got to do. He's talked before of the past. You know, here's what I did. Now, here's what you've got to do. Here's what's going to be happening. You know, you've got to take care of yourself. You know, be careful, pay attention to yourselves and to all the flock. You know, if, if the minister is not taking care of himself, whether it be spiritual, physically, mentally, whatever, what kind of job can they do toward the people they're supposed to be shepherding? You know, if, uh, and so he's telling them, you yourself are important. You've got to take care of yourself just as you take care of those who are in your flock. And he calls them an overseer. He talked about them as, you know, the elders came to him. Now he's calling them overseers. Those words are really synonymous, but they're the shepherd. The shepherd watches over his flock. And so it's their responsibility to watch over the people in the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. That's the blood of Christ. Yes. And know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. That's false teachings. And here again, you got to be careful. You don't know where that's coming from. And in fact, some of you are going to become those false teachers. You know, uh, the dean, and I can't quote it quite correctly, but has put up on the, the pulpit about speaking the gospel. Yeah, quote to me. Yeah, I, and, and several of you have heard me quote it, and I, I keep it here with me. Uh, in my Bible because it's from Shakespeare and the Merchant of Venice, but it says to me some of the same things of how you have to, to protect. And it's the devil can cite Scripture for his own purpose. An evil soul producing holy witness is like a villain with a smiling cheek. Well, that's what happened. You know, some of these elders got turned. And they started 
false teachings and a lot of times that starts slowly and it starts rolling and then all of a sudden you're over here not where you should be and so you need to be careful those of you who don't turn away need to be weary of those that do and be aware some of you are going to turn I mean you know, he knew he might not could have quite like Christ knew what specifically of the twelve but he knew that some of those in the gathering that he was admonishing and commanding, here's what you need to do, were going to turn. And so he then tells them again that, you know, I didn't covet your money or what you were wearing, anything like that. You know how I use these hands. And, you know, he probably held them out and, you know, showed them to them to take care of both myself and those who were with me. You know, he, you know, earlier he, he mentioned several people that were with him, and some of those could have been there uh, when he was in Ephesus and even went out at times because uh, Paul talked or Luke talked earlier about how sometimes the church spread in the area. Well, it wasn't necessarily Paul going here, here, and there. It was like disciples that were rooted would have gone out to outlying areas and preached the word and so Paul took care of them and them themselves too but they didn't rely on and take from the people in Ephesus and so he wanted them to know you need to follow the pattern that I've shown you and then I didn't realize this until I was I don't know I may have realized it but I've forgotten it and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That's not back in any of the Gospels. Luke and Paul, Paul would have heard it from people who had been around Christ and had heard it shared. So that's why he can say, remember the words of the Lord. Paul would not have heard them, but he would have heard them from people who heard it from Christ. So it's better for you to get out there and share than to say, gimme, gimme, gimme. So he's telling them to go out. Do follow the example that I gave you. And you know, how did the Ephesians do with watching what they were doing? Well, in, in Revelations um, chapter 2, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patience, endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. So obviously, while, and then he goes on to talk about in, in Revelations other problems in the church in Ephesus, but they heard what Paul was saying. They tested. They identified these false teachers, and they pushed them out. And that's incumbent upon us. When we hear somebody, we've got to test it. We've got to understand it. And so they did that. And then look what he did in verses 36 to the end. And when he had said these things, he knelt down, prayed with them, and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, 
being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken and that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. He'd spoken with them. He'd given them past. He'd given them their charge for the future. And then what did he do? He prayed with them. He prayed for them and he prayed with them. They prayed for him and prayed for themselves. They prayed together. And then after they finished, you know, when you see somebody going off, and I thought about this, and John's experienced this, and some of the others have you too, that like when Lee headed to Iraq, and we're telling him goodbye, we're not sure whether we're going to see him again, but there's a lot of possibility we will. In this situation, Paul said, I am not coming back. I am going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be in prison, and I'm going to be afflicted. They knew they wouldn't see him anymore. They wouldn't see him again. And he had meant a lot to them because he had brought them to the point where they were in their knowledge of Christ. And so they were just, you know, they were sorry. You know, they were sadness. But at the same time, they went with him down to the ship to wave goodbye. Yes, Frank? Uh, uh, Steve, you mentioned earlier in this beginning of this chapter um, how Paul seemed to indicate that he had, he had done his deal, he had done what he was supposed to do, and it was time for him to leave. And I, it, it reminded me of the last sermon Larry Gibson preached, uh, some of you may have seen uh, before he left Birmingham, uh, which is 20 years ago, I guess, 1995 or so. And um, he referred to one of the windows, I think, and, and one of the words from the cross was, it is finished. And, and not being a Bible scholar and not really ever paying that much attention, my thought was, you know, having heard those words in the past, I said, well, that's easy to get ready to die. That's, you know, I, I can't fight it any longer. It's finished. And Larry <coughs> made the point that, that, which is a new life to me, which I now believe or understand, is that what he was saying when he said it is finished, and he was basically saying something about his ministry here at the time he was moving on to Houston, right. was that, I have accomplished what I came for. You know, I'm dying on the cross for your sin. I mean, his mission was to was to save the world. You know, to right. The sacrifice of his blood, and that's what he was saying. It is finished, rather than you know, and much more, a much deeper meaning than what I had right. originally um, attributed to it until I heard that sermon. I heard a great sermon. I don't know if you remember hearing John. Mission accomplished. Yeah, and, and, and like with what you're saying there, Paul went on like Larry went on. Now, Paul, the nature of Paul's ministry changed. I mean, I think one of the great things we'll be coming to in a few weeks is his presentation before Agrippa. I just think that's great. I just enjoy that defense of himself before Agrippa. I just think it's great. But that, I mean, he shared. He continued to share the message to the end, by word and by writing, which is word too. Um, Jesus' warnings to his disciples that you mentioned a little while ago about the same kinds of things that would await them and, and, and what to do when it occurred. Uh, the gospel reading today, if anybody hadn't been to church already, is probably the most uh, concise and poignant explication of that right from the mouth of Jesus that is anywhere in the gospels. Uh, so that's, that's, I think it's from Luke, but yeah, I think so. 
Yeah, I think that's where they're used. Yeah, it's, it's very explicit. You, 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 know, you think of the disciples not getting it, you wonder, well, how can I hear that and not understand what it's saying? This is it's real clear. Yeah. Well, have a great week. <laughs>